Steve Jobs once said, we're here to put a dent in the universe. Well, FinTech has certainly put a dent in the financial services industry over the past few years. This podcast series focuses on the story of those individuals who took Jobs' advice, the dent makers, if you will. This is the FinTech Five. All right, on this episode of the FinTech Five, this is one of those special episodes, um, meaning I took a couple of aspirin, <laughs> I drank a, drink a pot of coffee. This is Dave Birch. Um, hello, David. Good morning. Hey, Sam. How's it going? I'm I'm doing well. All right, folks. Just uh, to to my producer, just get ready to start bleeping stuff out. I'm sure this is going to be fascinating. <laughs> we'll see where this goes. I'm on podcast best behavior. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Dave is the director of innovation at Consult Hyperion. He's a speaker. He's an author. He's he's everything that you would want um, from somebody in this space. What I'd like to do, though, Dave, is narrow the focus down quite a bit. And, and let's focus on the author part because you do have a new book coming out. Great title, by the way. Thank you. So let's 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 pimp the book, as we say in the U.S. Let's pimp the book. Okay, so it's called "Before Babylon, Beyond Bitcoin," and the idea of it is to inform the debate about uh, the future of money. So the debate's kind of got rekindled. I mean, it started in the '90s when we started having mobile phones and smart cards and things, and people started to think, you know, I wonder if money is going to change because of all of this. And then because of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, that discussion has started up again. And I thought it'd be interesting to write a book just to look at the sort of historical relationship between technology and money, because obviously they're, they're linked, and then maybe have some more informed speculation about where money might go in the future. And, and uh, I have to say right now, even if you don't agree with my conclusions, I, I hope that the way of thinking about it and the framework will be helpful to you in informing your own conclusions. I love one of the lines that um, is, is part of the promo for the book. It's from money we understand to money that understands us. Yeah, you know, I, was, I actually was going to call it from dumb money to smart money because I thought that – because like, I wanted to make the point that like people think of money as like dollar bills and things. And they're not smart. They don't. But money in the future is going to be smart contracts and coins and chips. And, you know, the money itself is getting smart. And I so I wanted to kind of make this. And a great friend of mine, Wendy Grossman, who's a journalist here, she writes. She writes for a few things here in the UK. And she uh, said it's like we're going from money that we understand to money that understands. Like, this is so great. And she strenuously objected to me abusing it in that way because it wasn't quite what she meant but it, and she wrote a whole column as to why I shouldn't be using it in this way but it's so beautiful I couldn't not use it oh, this is a, so, it's uh, a natural so progression yeah this is a natural how it came about well this is a natural progression for you because I mean you, you wrote a book in 2014 called identities the new money and then you trademarked that phrase and then you put it on every social media channel and stage that you could I got kind of lucky. The, you know, the honest truth, Sam, is you know, if, if I'd have written the book a couple of years before, a couple of years after, you know, it just I got lucky. I was just been thinking about this, and we've been doing a lot of work, and I wanted to write some of it down, and I just did it at the right time. And so, just as identity was beginning to move up the agenda, and I think I made a useful contribution to to helping people to think through some of the issues and structure some of the possibilities so 
Um, so it kind of worked out well. And um, so the sort of logical next step was either to go back down further into identity uh, or, or move over to the money stuff, I think. Well, you know, the other thing that I absolutely love about you is when you're on stage, a lot of these topics aren't easy. I mean, and they just aren't. And the ability to to tell a story or to wrap a story thread around an incredibly difficult topic. Let, let's let's go ahead and go with blockchain, right? For example, and and you you've talked about distributed ledgers, um, you know, quite a bit. There's so much hype that's out there. I think the the one that I love is is the uh, I've seen this just over the past couple of days, where blockchain is going to reverse civilization. I believe that was the phrase, wasn't it? Yeah, no, I saw, I saw that 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 um, the thing about Alex Tapscott, wasn't it? I kind of, yeah. Look, yeah. I th I think you know. I, in fact, I I just did an interview with a with a a journalist here this morning. I said, look, you know, I am a hundred percent behind the idea that here we have a, a radical new technology, uh, you know, a, a really new way of solving some old problems, and it, it's undoubtedly going to have an impact. But like I try to, I try to explain it in the book. Um, I, I'm not sure it's kind of the impact. So, so, so I think of the shared ledger technologies in general and blockchain technologies in particular, um, in in a, from a very specific perspective, which is transparency. So it seems to me the things that these technologies do better than than other technologies might do um, is they introduce some transparency. So they have us. They have us auditing and and looking at accountability in a very different way. And if you look at the kind of historical cycle of, I mean, I give a couple of examples in the book, like the tulips that everyone's familiar with. But I, I'm particularly interested in the in the the railway crash of, in Victorian times. You know, lots of people lost a lot of money. The companies went bankrupt and all this kind of thing. But what came out of it was accounting standards. And then because you had accounting standards, you could now invest in things all around the world because you could read the accounts and, and the auditors would, would attest that they were correct. And so you had this explosion in capitalism, which, um, uh, which came out of it. And so, you know, one line of thinking is we've had the great financial crisis um, of the early 21st century, but we haven't yet had the fallout from it. And it seems to me at least a plausible hypothesis that that fallout might be to do with transparency because it was lack of transparency in the markets that was crucial to the collapse. And these technologies fit very nicely into this. You know, the idea that we can have these transaction records that are shared between the participants, but also the regulators, you know, they're hard to falsify. You have these consensus forming mechanisms. You have the ability to automate, which, to be honest, I see as more of a reg tech than a fintech because I see it as applying to the automation of sector-wide business processes. I, I completely believe that this is going to be a really new way of doing things and will create new financial markets. Um, is it going to overthrow the Federal Reserve? I'm, I'm, I'm holding back my judgment on that. I think we'll, we'll wait and see on that one. Yeah, if you ever want to un understand the impact of digital money on your life, in, in a very humorous way, but also a very real way, just, just follow Dave on Twitter. Um, <laughs> some of your posts about trying to pay maybe in some other countries in Europe or in the U.S. are just uh, flat out hilarious. So highly recommend that to everyone. All right. Just for my producer, Rachel, because I'm I respect just, I'm just you so I'm just about to post on that, actually, because I, I, just, 
I just got my my new card arrived today, and so I got because you know I, I had this running joke where I keep signing all my transactions Sergio Aguero. Mm-hmm. So I, I've actually got a Sergio Aguero Mastercard now in front of me, which I'm I'm going to post in a minute. So <laughs> and you I've, look, I've gone, I've gone the whole, I've gone the whole hog. Yeah, I mean, you look exactly alike. You look like you know, <laughs> you're <laughs> you look just like Aguero. Uh, never at any day in your life have you ever looked like Aguero. All right, we're down to the <laughs> we're down to the last minutes. So this is rapid fire. So oh, sorry, real quick. What did no, you no, no. You want to talk about? Oh, I, I forgot already. All right, so here oh, we go. Okay. You ready? One. Okay. Which part of the UK did you grow up in? Uh, Swindon, home of Mondex. Okay, so I'm I'm a bit thrown because right now you live in Surrey, right? You live. I live. So I I grew up in Swindon, or actually we call it Swindon City of the Future, to be more accurate. Oh, nice. Um, but and then I lived abroad for a, a few years, and then when I came back, I came back to Surrey. Okay, so why are you a Man City fan, other than your love for Aguero? Well, I I grew. People forget this now, but when I was a little kid growing up. When you had to pick your team in the playground at school, you know, in the late 60s, I mean, Manchester City was a glamour team in those days. Yeah. You know, Francis Lee, Dennis Stewart, Mike Summerby, Rodney Marsh, they were the glamour team. So in the, in the playground that year, you were either Man City or Chelsea, and I chose Man City. And once you've made the decision, you, you, you never change. So Yeah, and in that situation, you made the right choice. So <laughs> I'll, I'll back that. And the last one, you're, you're a visiting professor at University of Surrey Business School. Do Correct. they not? Do they not do background checks in in England? Or? <laughs> uh, you know, look if you've if you've got a book published, uh, you can get it. No, it's not quite like that. We we have a very close relationship with the university. P- people might not realize, but Consult Hyperion grew up on the University of Surrey uh, kind of business park, oh. what they call the research park, and we have we sponsored research there. We take students and we employ them. You know, we have a very close relationship with the university. So I was extremely flattered when they asked me if I would consider the visiting professorship, which is a lot of fun. So if this is an American comment, if you ever wanted to picture what a, a business school professor at the university of Surrey would look like exactly 100% like Dave Birch. (laughs) If you ever wanted to picture what a professor at university of Surrey acts like, it's the polar opposite <laughs> of, of David Birch. Oh, all right. So where's the best place to find out about the new book in particular? And then consult Hyperion. Uh, well, there's, there's a lot about it on my website, which is www.dgwbirch.com. Um, I post about it incessantly at the moment mm-hmm. as my, my campaign of relentless self-promotion. Um, or you can just go to Amazon and look for Before Babylon Beyond Bitcoin. Are you doing a book signing in Copenhagen? I am. Uh, thanks yeah. to my very good friends at Atos Worldline. Uh, there's going to be a launch of the book and a book signing at Money 2020. Um, so please stop by if you're there. Perfect. All right, David. Thank you. Why Great not? stuff. Talk again soon, Sam. 